What a year it has been for us. It has been a year. I'm speaking uh, for me personally and for my wife. Over the course of six months, we moved from Georgia. We came up here and we started a new life in Ohio. And we were just, she was just pondering on the reality of once we have kids, they may not even know unless we mention to them that we are from Georgia. Their life is going to be in Ohio. What, five inches of snow that they have to play in? I mean, Crystal was like, ah, this ain't it. The weather. But uh, I'm glad that we are up here. Um, I'm glad that we're here at Akron Alliance Fellowship. Uh, it's just been a tremendous blessing for us. Yeah, I really have, and I just want to let everybody know that as well. How much uh, you guys have prayed for us and how much um, you have sheltered us under your arms and just embrace us. And I'm really yeah, I'm appreciative of that. Um, if you're a visitor here, I, I thank you for coming. Um, we here we love to sing, uh, we love to fellowship, and we ask you uh, once the service is over, just stick around so we can get to know you even more. Um, let us to impart our love unto you, you know, give you a remembrance of why we do what we do and the reason why we do it. Um, because the love and joy that we have is not really coming from us; it's coming from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Um, let's start our 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 Sunday morning off with a joke. I think you live this place up a little bit. Um, <laughs> one Sunday morning, a mother went up to her son's room to wake him up for a Sunday morning church. She knocked on the door. To wake her son up. And her son replied by saying, I am not going. She said, why not? He said, I give you two reasons. One, they don't like me and I don't like them. She said, okay. Well, I will give you two reasons why you are going or you will go. One, you're 47 years old, and two, you're the pastor. <laughs> I remember when I was younger, around the age of 20, um, I used to hang out with a couple of guys. Uh, we always did a lot of things together. Uh, we played basketball, we swam, we did a lot of activities, went to the shopping mall uh, to just hang out with each other. Um, but except for my friend, uh, who was a quadriplegic, he was handicapped from neck down. Uh, that means that he didn't have the ability to move his 
four limbs, which is two arms and two legs, right? Uh, we always, the three of my friends, uh, we always had compassion uh, for him. We always assisted him to do just about everything that needed to be done in his daily task. We had to assist him in feeding him himself and also helping him to go to the restroom or just getting out. Uh, we carry him we, uh, everywhere that we went. Um, and at that time, one of my friends who was an able-bodied man, he had an ideal that would help our friend out tremendously because we loved him. So his ideal was this. How about we take our friend to this individual that we heard so much about who can heal our friend. You may have known him. Uh, this individual is Jesus. Um, so that's what we did. I thought it was a good idea. Everybody else thought it was a good idea. So we took our friend. We put, it on, put him on his bed that he was laying on for a good portion of his life. We carried uh, our friend to the destination where Jesus was. As we were going and traveling to Nazareth of Galilee, we met a, well, something addressed us that wasn't in, into our calculations. Our problem was it was a great crowd that met us. So we couldn't really get to Jesus. We had to do other things. Because we tried to go through the front door. We tried to go through the side door, but we couldn't. So I had a brilliant idea. My idea was fantastic. What I decided to do was to go on the staircases. And we, this is my suggestion. I don't suggest this to y'all. But I suggested that we start tearing the top of this private home roof off. And that's what we did. We started tearing the towels off the roof. We started, we started to tear the clay and the, and the grass and the wood that was, that was a thatch uh, roof. We started to tear that off so we can lay our friend in front of Jesus. Now this is, it took us a mighty time to do this, right? It wasn't five minutes. It had, it took us 30 minutes to accomplish our goal because we had to open a hole, which was six by four, to lay somebody in there, which is my friend. And at that time, by, by the time that we opened up the hole, I would never, ever forget that moment. When I saw Jesus Christ's face. The reason why is because he looked at us. And I looked at him. And I vividly remember his face because the expression on his face was like as if he was smelling. Just a big Kool-Aid smell on his face. And it seems as if. He knew what we was trying to do. He, it seems as if he saw our faith 
in him. So, by the time we open up the towel roof, the thatch roof, we start lowering our friend down to lay him at the feet of Jesus. And by the time we did that, he looked at us and looked at our friend who was pretty much laying on the ground. And he said to our friend, man, your sins are forgiven you. What? Your sins are forgiven you? What in the world are you talking about? Obviously, my friend had an obvious problem. You're talking about pardoning his sins? I didn't understand. Neither did the Pharisees and the teachers of the law didn't understand as well. Because they were questioning amongst themselves by saying, this man is speaking blasphemies. Who can pardon someone's sin unless he is God? I was thinking the same thing too. So, it seems as if everybody was thinking the same thing because Jesus replied as well. He said... Which one is easier to say? That your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? He went on to say, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, rise and walk. And my friend did. He picked up his bed and walked. I was astonished. Not only me, but everybody who was blockading or barricading the private home was astonished because they went home and started glorifying God as well. If you uh, turn to your turning your Bibles to Luke chapter five, verse 17 through 26, you will be more identified or have more awareness of what story I'm talking about. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 26. I'm reading from the ESV translation. Are you there? Just say Amen. Amen. All right. It says, on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the towels into the midst of, into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. 
And the scribes and the Pharisees and the scribes and Pharisees began to question. To uh, to question, saying, who is this speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them. Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been laying on and went home. Glorifying God and amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Everyone in the world expects something. What are your expectations? Let me propose it this way. I want to ask you two questions. The first question is, what are your expectations? And the second question, what is your greatest need in life? Because I think if we're honest with ourselves, the latter question would answer the first question. Within the story, there are... Four groups of people. The first group is the Pharisees and teachers of the law. The second group is the crowd. The third group is the four men with their paralyzed friend. And the fourth group is Jesus along with his disciples, although they're not mentioned in the text. So. These Groups of people, they have expectations. And they also have a greatest need as well. So, uh, again, I want to ask those two questions to y'all. But I want you to answer it at the very end of this sermon. Because what I think, if I'm perceiving everybody correctly, is that you may be thinking something differently. Okay? All right. Let's talk about the expectations of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. All right. What were their expectations of what was the expectation of the Pharisees and teachers of the law? What were they doing in this story? They. To give you the answer, they were spectators. They were policing the scenes or instigators at that particular time. See, they traveled many miles to get to Nazareth of Galilee, which is Nazareth is uh, Jesus hometown. And that's where Jesus often went to uh, sometimes to preach the gospel. That's actually where he began his ministry. So they went to Nazareth, the location where Jesus was. But if you look in 
Luke chapter 5, verse 17, you would notice that their, their actions, what were they doing? Let's read it together. Look at Luke chapter 5, verse 17. It says, On those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. I think this is very important for us to be mindful of the actions of the people in this story. The Pharisees and the teacher were just sitting there. Why were they sitting there? Well, to give you... Uh, a better idea why they were sitting there is because they heard of Jesus' ministry already. Jesus Christ is probably within a year and a half of his ministry. So they knew that Jesus had the ability to heal, to uh, heal the sick, to uh, bring life to dead limbs. They heard about Jesus' fame. This is one of the reasons why the men who had to travel to Nazareth of Galilee to get to Jesus because they heard about who Jesus is. But the Pharisees, their expectation was to plot against Jesus. They wanted to entrap Jesus within his own words. For example, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 15, the Pharisees plotted against him, trying to entrap Jesus with his words. Also in the Gospel of John, John chapter 9, verse 59, the Pharisees picked up stones so, he, so they can stone him. Because Jesus Christ equated himself to be God. Not only that, if you just, since you're already in the uh, Gospel of Luke, just glance over to Luke chapter 4, verse 29. Luke chapter 4, verse 29. Um, to give you the context of this particular verse, it is, Jesus Christ is in the city, in his hometown, the city of Nazareth, and he is teaching in the synagogue. And at that particular time, while he was teaching, he made, he made a statement that infuriated the Pharisees, which was this. He was equating himself to the prophets of Elijah and Elijah. And after he started to equate himself to these tremendous and powerful prophets, the Pharisees and teachers and scribes and Essenes, they were furious. So they rose up and they brought Jesus to the brow of a cliff, which probably wasn't too far from the synagogue. Because if you think about it, you have to, if you're trying to drive someone to a cliff, and it's not too far. I mean, it's as far from the synagogue than as a long walk. So it had to be very close to the synagogue. And as he has been brought to this cliff, they want to throw Jesus off the cliff. This is what it says. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill 
on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. I'm going to continue to read verse 30. But passing through their midst, he went away. So we have a crowd of people surrounding Jesus at the brow of a cliff. But divinely, I will submit to you that he just passed peacefully through the midst of the crowd. Why? It's not his time to die. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were sitting there. They were sitting there. So one of the expectations of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law was to police the scene. They didn't want Jesus to undo their religious traditions. That's why they were sitting there. They wanted to protect what they built around the Mosaic law and to govern the people by their traditions. This is why. This is why Luke said that the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, according to verse 17. And they came to Jesus' hometown. Now, if you think I'm putting much attention to these words by uh, what Luke recorded by saying they, they were sitting there, I'm not. Because it pays, beloved, pay close attention. What is Jesus doing? What is his main focus there? Was to preach the gospel, to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. But the Pharisees, they were just sitting there. Just sitting there. So I'm not putting enough attention on it. Because if we apply what Luke recorded in our context, we have to think about how many times that people come in here to sit on the, under the sound teaching and preaching of the gospel and just sit here and there is no change whatsoever. Years after years, months after months, weeks go by, sound teaching is being preached, and yet there's no change within someone's heart. That is why I'm putting a lot of emphasis on this text. Sometimes I kind of get puzzled. I kind of get puzzled how I, I kind of vaguely look around at times when I'm not preaching, when Pastor Gus or Mel is preaching. And I vaguely look around just to see what people are doing. So I see some people play on their phones. I say, is that a Bible scripture? Uh, no, nah, that's not. Right? Or is <laughs> I even saw someone reading the newspaper. And I'm thinking, what in the world does have to do with what Pastor Gus is preaching? Yeah. 
Even even for those who are sitting there, not Greg or Miss Beecher, because obviously they sit there regularly. But for those sitting on the other side of the curtain speaks volume to why they don't want to come amongst the congregation. It says something about their spiritual state. If you just over there, and I don't know who is over there. So if you over there, I'm sorry, I'm not picking on you. But at the same time, there's a reason that someone is over there and just sit there. There's a reason within them. Whatever the case may be, I can't provide an application for that because I don't know what is in their heart. One commentator said it this way. How many are there in the midst of our congregation where the gospel is preached that do not sit under the word, but sit idly by? Just coming to church to save face for the sake of being seen or being just just holding up the tradition of coming to church. And that's another reason that I brought out why the Pharisees were sitting there. Again, keep in mind, they were policing the scenes. They wanted to keep their traditions. Beloved, we have traditions here that I call into questions many times. When it comes to upholding traditions, which some traditions are good. They serve a principle and a biblical response. So I'm all for that. But some traditions we can just let go. The Pharisees, they didn't want to let go their traditions. They wanted to keep them. And this is why they were idly sitting by. So the questions that if, if the Pharisees were sitting here amongst us, I would ask them the same type of questions. Those two questions. What are your expectations of the son of man? What is your greatest need? Because your actions are recorded throughout the Gospels. Your actions are shown what you desire most when the Son of Man was in your midst. Which is, you wanted Jesus Christ to submit to your traditions. You wanted him to be the Son of Man that you wanted him to be. Not the Christ that his father called him to be. Bit difference. So their expectations was for Jesus to submit to their religious traditions and to be the Messiah that they wanted them him to be. Amen. Another key thing that we need to be mindful is about Jesus ministry. Um, I kind of failed to mention to you guys. So let's pause for a second. I failed to mention that within your church bulletin, 
there's a sermon outline. So if you're not able to uh, see Prizzy, the presentation that is behind me, then you can just follow along with this. Um, I know we have a light variation that's going on here. Trust me, we're going to get that together. Um, so stick around. But within the text, Luke also highlighted, according to verse 17, we could say 17c, it says this. I want to, I'm going to read over again, starting in verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Let's pause there. The power of the Lord was with him to him. Jesus Christ, again, is in the beginning of his ministry. Now, this word power comes from the Greek word dunamis. This is where we get our English word dynamite from. Uh, it means explosive or in other ways it can mean abundance. So the power of the Lord or dunamis of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. This is not common for Jesus, right? Because if we glance back into chapter 4, and I would go there. You can stay where you are in your Bibles. It says in verse 4, I'm in chapter 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jerusalem and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. It doesn't have the word power there. But what I am implying is that this power is coming from God, the Holy Spirit. That's where this power is coming from. I'm not trying to downplay Jesus' divinity of being 100% God and 100% man, but I am emphasizing that Jesus was enabled by the Holy Spirit to start his ministry. Because if we continue to read chapter 4, it would say that the Holy Spirit led him out into the wilderness. Let him out into the wilderness. I can do you uh, one better. If you look over to Luke chapter 4, verse 14. It says this. And Jesus returned, returning from the, the wilderness. He returned in power of the What? Of the Spirit. That is why I'm emphasizing this. It was of the Holy Spirit to enable Jesus to heal everyone. As Luke recorded, the power of the Lord was on him to heal. So his ministry is not just teaching and preaching the, the word of God, I think that's the, the pinnacle of his ministry. But the confirmation of his ministry was the miracles. Amen? 
I feel like I'm on an island by myself. <laughs> but um, so that is why within the text, and it's significant because it plays along with the story. It plays along for two parts. The confirmation of to heal everybody. Second, the authority of Jesus, which we're going to get to in a couple more minutes. I think for someone who had an obvious problem, I put it this way. The power of the Lord or the power of the Holy Spirit to confirm that Jesus is who he is, the son of man, and have the authority to heal confirms the importance of different individuals. And I know I'm kind of losing y'all for a second, but hold on to that thought. All right. Let's move on to the expectations of the crowd. The expectations of the crowd. Yeah, for the most part, the crowd is there. What do you think the crowd, why do you think the crowd was there? What were their expectations? Think about it. What were their, what were they expecting from Jesus Christ? Well, there are several reasons. I think the text already implies one of them. I think if I submit to you this, is that the crowd, probably a small majority of them, was just there for the benefit of being healed. We know at the end of the story is that some of them were probably there to glorify God and to really know who Jesus is. Right? Some, including the Pharisees and te- uh, uh, teachers of the law or scribes, they were there just being spectators. You know, for the four men, we know that the four men uh, carry their friend because of Mark chapter 2. Four men carrying their friend to get their paralytic friend to Jesus. They, we know that they met a problem which was the crowd that barricaded the entire private home. So they couldn't get in front. They couldn't get behind of, of, of the crowd. I put it this way. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we just had the daycare Christmas banquet. It was packed in here. Um, and everybody was just clamored together. And we just, it was kind of somewhat difficult to manage the crowd. That's one small illustration. Another illustration is that if you think a mega church is a good thing sometimes, I submit to you it's not. When Kristen and I was at, uh, at World Changers, a mega church in College Park, Georgia, the first, after the sermon, the first thing that we tried to do is rush to the parking lot. <laughs> we didn't want to get stuck in the parking lot. But ladies and gentlemen, the crowd here, there's 
at least a fourfold ideal of what Luke is getting to. Their expectations for some was to be healed. The other expectations for some was to just idly sit by. The others was expectations to really know who Jesus is. There's a difference, again, going back to the same application that I submitted to you concerning the Pharisees and teachers of the law. There's a stark difference of just being amongst of the crowd and being amongst of the congregation. Stark difference. So. What is. Let's talk about the expectations of the four friends. Expectations of the four friends. Now, according to Mark, as I already mentioned, the four friends carry their paralytic friend to Jesus. And what I want to highlight is that their determination. What they were determined to do. If you look over to Luke chapter 5, verse 20, we see their determination. What is their determination within the text? It is their faith. It is their faith in Jesus Christ. It is that their faith drove them to to Jesus so that their friend can be healed. So if we ask, what what are their expectations? What is their greatest need? I think the text implies that. It's similar... It's similar to, to the centurion soldier who had a servant who was ill, and he went to Jesus to intercede on his servant's behalf. And that, that goes to show us a, a, an application Despite their friend who had an obvious problem, despite him being a quadriplegic at the at the most, their friend still interceded on their behalf. What does that mean for us? That means for us is that for those who we are crying out to the Lord, desiring. For the Lord to save those who don't know him. Desiring the Lord to heal someone. We are what? Interceding by our faith so that the Lord can respond. Not at our will, but according to his will. And this is what the the four friends did. They interceded. They were determined to get their friend to the destination where he needed to be. Now, if you think this is not a shocking ideal or a shocking thing, this is a tremendously outrageous, radical thing that they did for their friend. I don't know anyone who would get on top of the roof to tear somebody's private home, which they didn't know. 
off, tear the towels off so they can get their friend to Jesus. What if I did that to your home? You'd be looking at me like I'm crazy. Now, what is he doing? So I can imagine Jesus Christ as he's teaching and preaching the sound of uh, the word of God. As he is doing that, he feels little clay crumbs falling on his shoulders. Looking up. Right. Now he's seeing uh, the daylight just shining through the private home. It had to take them 30 minutes to an hour to complete the job. Because the thatch roof is not just made of clay, it's made of hay, clay, wood, all put together. So they had to dig through different materials to accomplish their mission. That is why it's so shocking. That is why it shows their determination. That is why it shows their intersection for their friend. And that is why it shows... Their faith. Because they knew before time, before that time happened, that their faith was going to make their friend whole. It's like, as I mentioned, a satirian soldier. So, I encourage, I encourage Every single one of you guys, beloved, to continue to intercede, continue to pray, exhort, comfort, ask for healing for those who are not healed. Because you never know when. You you never know how the Lord is going to provide in that manner. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm glad we have some form of Baptist traditions. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the paralytic friend. The paralytic friend. One thing before we move on, I failed to mention, as you can see on the, behind me, is that... Not only the friends have faith, it's just that the expression that Jesus received from them. As you can see in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, 6, faith is what? Impossible. Having, if you don't have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's impossible to please him. So the recourse of your faith that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ somewhat determines. I'm using the word loosely because I don't want to be charismatic in my speaking. Somewhat determines how much you will receive. Does that make sense? Amen. So their faith determined the complete of their friend's healing. So what we can say of that is that Jesus Christ was pleased. There's plenty of times when Jesus Christ was in his hometown 
that he only did little killings at that time. Why? Because he said a, fa- a prophet is without honor within his home, own hometown. Why did he say that? Because they didn't have faith in him. All right, let's talk about the expectation of the paralytic men. What do you think the, this man were, was expecting? If we will give him a story, which we can, to complete the autobiography of his life, do you think he was handicapped? Well, yes, but do you think he was a quadriplegic as I submitted to you? Or do you think he only had the use of his arms and, that, and no, did not have the use of his legs? Whatever the case may be, he could have been older. He could have been around the age of 18. We don't know. But I think his expectation is somewhat deeper. I think, and it's just my commentary, as I submit to you, is that as he was being lowered down to where Jesus was, Jesus saw something more in him, other than the obvious thing. The obvious thing was that his body wasn't complete. It wasn't whole. But the deeper thing is that Jesus saw something that was most needed. And what was that? What was most needed in this individual was not for his body to be healed, but for his sins to be forgiven. Because he already had an obvious problem. But what Jesus saw is the invisible matter, not the visible matter. So what I submit is that the paralytic man didn't really care about his body being completely healed. Not entirely. But what I submit to you is this, that he cared more about his sins being forgiven. Why do I say that? Well, I say that for this reason. Jesus Christ perceived their thoughts. In John chapter 1, it says that Jesus knows the heart of man. So what I'm submitting to you is that Jesus Christ knew what was in the paralytic's heart. And his greatest need in his heart was to have his sins to be forgiven. With that. Amen? Amen. Amen. And this is why. This is why everybody who was there at that time paused. Have you ever came up, have you ever had the right premise? 
but came up with the wrong conclusion. Amen to that. (laughs) It's like doing a math equation, right? Or some type of economics. You know, I'm not, to be quite honest, I'm not good in math, so don't ask me if you're around me. You know, that's not my forte. Uh, So don't ask me. But, you know, if you're ever doing algebra or whatever the case may be, some difficult math, right? You come up with the right premise, you carry the one over, blah, 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 you take the one down, okay, this is right. But at the very end of the equation, you're in- totally wrong. <laughs> you look back and you say, where did I miss the point? I think that was the case for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They missed The mark. Let's read it together. This is their premise. In verse 21, it says, And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus perceiving their thoughts and answered them. Now, as I just said, their premise is correct. They're absolutely correct with their premise. But their conclusion is totally wrong. Now, granted, if their conclusion was correct, then their premise would be also validated. But that's not the case here. Because they're questioning who can forgive Sins. Who can pardon sins but God alone? And that is true. But they missed the point. The point is that Jesus Christ can forgive sins. He has the authority to forgive someone's sins. Which makes him God. No amen to that one. So, for them to say he's speaking blasphemies or blasphemous words, premise correct, conclusion totally wrong. Totally wrong. Lastly, in verse 22 and 23 in the remaining of the verses, Well, let's back up a little bit. This is why Jesus responded. He responded to their question by identifying who he really is. And this is what I mean. If you look at uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 24, it says this. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Who is the Son of Man? I think uh, if you have an avatar, for those who like to play video games, or whatever the case may be, um, you know, people like to go by, you know, AKAs, always known as is such and such. Jesus Christ had an AKA. How he personally identified himself was this. He always called himself the son of men. 
For those of that time knew what that meant. They knew the theology behind those words. And that's coming from Daniel. It's coming straight from Daniel chapter 7. You can turn there with me as we read together. Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 It is getting hot up here. <laughs> when you there just say amen. All right, Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 says this. I saw and the night vision And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And we can continue just a little bit. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom in a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is is one that shall not be destroyed. Do you see the picture? So when Jesus Christ is saying, so that you may know the Son of Man has authority, he is saying, I am the one whose kingdom is going to forever last, whose peoples are going to come and serve me. That is what he's saying. So since I am the one... And I identify myself throughout the Gospels as this person. Believe who I really am. I am the son of man. That's why he addressed himself that way. And within, even in the gospel, he also said that you would see the son of man riding on clouds full of glory. If I ever identify myself, you know, I think I talked about this with a couple of individuals. They said, should I, you know, they were talking about titles and humility, which is fine. And I agree with their uh, applications and solution. We always talking about pastors having been elevated to a certain status, which is true, but they shouldn't be in that manner. And that's true as well. So I just humbly reply by saying if anyone want to identify me, he can identify me as Travis. Why? This is, I am Travis first. And sooner or later, you will see that I am Pastor Travis as well. You will see that I'm a husband. I am a student of the Bible. You will see those things. Jesus Christ is saying in similar fashion, I am the son of man. You would see me riding on the clouds. You would see my kingdom. You would see that I am God. Amen? Amen. Amen. But last point as I, as we about to come to a close. Because I'm going over. What is the expectation of Jesus Christ? If Jesus Christ expects you to do 
something. What do you he what do you think he expects you to do? Think about it. Well, to make it clear, I think he expects you to have faith in him. To have faith in him, to know that he is the son of man, to know that he has the authority to forgive your sins. Because everybody there within the story wasn't expecting the punchline to Jesus' response as he pardoned someone's sin. What he was expecting is to believe who he is. And that's why I encourage you today to believe. To believe in his authority, to believe in his teaching. And just to speak about authority, just a tad bit, I'm running out of time. And Luke shows in 4.32 that Jesus is teaching authoritatively. In 4.36, his authority over demons. Luke records that the emphasis of this passage is that Jesus does have the authority. And since he has the authority... He has the power to forgive sins. Now, what's the central theme of this message? What can we take home? If we crystallize everything, I would tell you this. The central theme of this particular message is that saving faith forgives. Saving Faith in Jesus Christ has the power to forgive your sins. Because what was important wasn't for the paralytic man, was not for his body to be whole, but what was important for him is was his sins to be forgiven. The indivisible became visible. The incomplete became whole. Amen? Amen. So, the questions that I asked earlier in this sermon is, what are your expectations in Jesus Christ? And what is your greatest need? Because if you truly And spiritually ask yourself, what is your greatest need? That answer will also answer the first question. Now, reflective questionnaire so you can take home and jot down. Here are some questions that I want you to ponder on throughout this week. Does your faith drive your determination to seek after Jesus Christ? What expectations do you have of Jesus Christ? And again, what is your greatest need in life? What is your greatest need in life? Let us pray.
Jesus Christ, if we're really honest with ourselves and with our, and also in our hearts, that our greatest need is not to have anything material to be given to us. It's not necessarily to have our bodies to be healed. But our greatest need is to have our sins forgiven by you. The only way that we can do that is to have faith in you. That you have rose from the grave on the third day and now is sitting in heaven by the right hand of your father. That you have taken the punishment for our sins upon, the, upon yourself. So, Lord, I ask you, just like you did Lydia, as Paul was teaching her, to open up this congregation's hearts and mind and soul. If they don't know you, I pray that you would enlighten them to who you really are. Please do not let Satan to throughout this word that I imparted upon the congregation. I ask you to allow your seed, your word, to be implanted on fresh ground that will be right for the harvest. You can only do this, not man, not traditions. I pray this in your holy and matchless name. A name that is above every name. Amen.